Hey, this is Kyle Eidelman from Southeast Christian Church, and I'm going to thank you for listening to the message today. As we open up the scriptures together, I pray that this message inspires you, challenges you, and is the right word at just the right time in your life. Enjoy the message. So I have spent the last few weeks uh, traveling to some different parts of the world that I can't tell you too much about. I wish I could. I wish I could show you some pictures and tell you some stories, but I can't say too much about it because I was visiting some parts of the world where if I shared too much information, it could put some of the believers there, some of the missionaries there at risk. It could make things difficult, if not dangerous for them. But I do want to tell you how significant it is what God is doing through this church and these parts of the world. So I spent about a week in the Middle East, and then from there I went to Indonesia and spent some time on a few islands in Indonesia and and, um, got to encourage some doctors and nurses and business owners, missionaries who are intentionally living their life in parts of the world where most people don't know Jesus and where many people are hostile to the good news of the gospel. And, And I was just so thankful to spend time with them. I lost track of how many people asked me to come back here and tell you thank you. If you're a part of this church family, they wanted me to convey to you how much they appreciate your support. I lost track of how many people said things to me like we wouldn't be here if it wasn't for Southeast. So you might not get to see that. You might not get to witness that on this side of eternity. Like one day in heaven, we'll get to see all of that. But right now, we don't always get to see it. I just want you to know you're part of it. Now, I'm just overwhelmingly grateful to be a part of a church like this. After having some time to see what God is doing through this church in the Middle East and in Indonesia and having just a glimpse of what he's doing through our church around the world, I'm just thankful. I'm thankful for your your generosity. I, I get it. Like I know that in a church this size, the easiest thing in the world is to just say, well, there are a lot of people here. I don't need to do it. I don't need to give, somebody else will give. I don't need to pray, somebody else will pray. I don't need to serve, somebody else will serve. Like I understand the natural mentality to just look around and say, I'm good, I don't, I don't need to do anything. And yet what makes this place so dynamic, what makes this church family so impactful in the world is how many of us just come together and humbly say to God, God, We wanna be a part of whatever your plan is. We wanna be a part of your purpose. I'm thankful for your generosity. I'm thankful to be a part of a church that's debt-free so that every dollar that's given goes to ministry or missions. I'm thankful for a church that takes so seriously the stewardship of God's resources. I'm thankful for the men and women who are connected to this church or who grew up in this church and then left this part of the world to go to other parts of the world to tell people about Jesus. And so my heart, This morning is full. I'll say my mind is a little foggy. Um, That 12 hour time change will get you. My heart's full, my mind's foggy, but it was beautiful. It's beautiful to see. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Genesis 41. We are continuing in this series called One Thing Leads to Another. We're studying the life of Joseph in Genesis and we're discovering how the will of God is always unfolding in our lives. The will of God is always unfolding in our lives. I've said that the most common question I'm asked as a pastor is something along the lines of what's God's will for my life? Now it's not always worded that way, but I think if you've ever prayed, you've prayed some version of that. 
God, what do you want me to do? What should I do about this decision, about this relationship? What should I do about this situation? Sometimes that prayer is a prayer of excitement where you're looking to the future and you're excited. God, what do you want me to do? Sometimes that is a prayer of fear and anxiousness. God, I don't know what to do. Sometimes it's a prayer of desperation. God, I don't know what else to do. Sometimes it's a, it's a prayer of frustration. God, what do you want me to do now? We've all prayed that prayer. God, what is your will for my life? Sometimes it feels like we're just hanging on. I'm gonna show you a picture of, uh, of me that was taken really just a few days ago. This is me on the back of a uh, moped in Indonesia. And if I look comfortable and confident, it's because I'm faking it. I, I <laughs> am way out of my comfort zone. I'm just waiting for that thing to just pop up and that little guy to land on top of me. And I'm holding on to this bar in the back. I can't see the person that we were supposed to be following, so I'm not sure this guy knows where we're supposed to be going, but he doesn't speak English, and so I'm trying to talk to him, trying to make sure he knows where we're going, that we're just not riding off into the jungle, and we're bouncing along these roads, and he's turning right without any indicator. There's no turn signal a part of this experience, and so I'm, I'm just hanging on tight every time I lean forward to say something to him, I get this face full of smoke because he's driving with one hand and smoking a cigarette with the other. <laughs> and then there's this moment, there was this moment on the journey where I just instinctively went from holding onto the bar behind me <laughs> to grabbing a hold of him. <laughs> I didn't mean to, I didn't want to, but we hit a pothole and I just grabbed him. <laughs> and I feel his hand grab my wrist and remove it. Because <laughs> he didn't sign up for that. Like he didn't sign up for a bear hug from an American when he started his day and that that's, wasn't gonna be part of it. But that feeling of not being in control is one that we struggle with. That feeling of, does, does the person driving know where we're going? Does the person behind the steering wheel understand where I'm trying to get. And so you just sometimes feel like life is holding on. I think that's how many of us would process understanding the will of God and just kind of holding on, trying to reconcile his will with your reality. I, I think on this Mother's Day weekend, there are a lot of ladies that would probably resonate with this. Like you're trying to, you're trying to reconcile God's will for your life with your realities as a single, as a single mom and just how overwhelmed you feel, and this wasn't the way it was supposed to be or the way that you thought it would go, or you're trying to reconcile God's will with your realities as a mom who is, um, is just exhausted. And, and maybe you have a special needs child at home and you just feel like, I can't do this anymore, and yet it doesn't seem okay to say that out loud, and, and so it just builds up or, or maybe you're trying to reconcile God's will with the decisions your teenager is making and you feel like you have little control over. Or you're trying to reconcile God's will, maybe this Mother's Day, with the fact that you're not a mom and you really wanna be a mom and you were sure that was God's will for you but it hasn't happened and you're not sure if it's gonna happen. You know who would have understood that is Joseph's mom, Rachel. She, um, 
She wanted more than anything to be a mom. The Bible doesn't tell, her a lot, tell us a lot about her. It does tell us that she was beautiful, which is unusual. The Bible doesn't usually give us physical descriptions of someone's appearance unless it's especially true, right? Like if Bible says she's beautiful, she's beautiful. But what she wanted was to be a mom. She was sure this was the purpose of her life. She was certain this would have been God's will. Her identity as a woman in that culture would have been closely tied to her being a mom. And yet here's what we read in Genesis 30. It says, when Rachel saw that she wasn't having any children for Jacob, she became jealous of her sister. You remember Leah? And she pleaded with Jacob, give me children or I'll die. And you can hear the desperation in this prayer. Give me children, give me children or I'll die. I read a study this week where ladies who had experienced the challenges of infertility and had also experienced a life-threatening disease ranked the emotional, the emotional pain of infertility at a similar level of facing a terminal illness. And I think that's reflected in Rachel's desperation here as she says to her husband, give me children or I'll die. Her husband, Jacob, loves her very much. But he does not respond to her pain and fear in a way that's safe. He's not reassuring to her. He doesn't pray with her. He, he doesn't acknowledge this is really difficult, but things are out of our control. Verse two, it says that he became furious with Rachel. And there is this is dynamic and some of you wives understand this, where she goes to her husband, her husband loves her, but he wants her to be happy, and she's dealing with a situation that he can't fix, and beyond his, it's beyond his control, and so instead of, of being present with her, instead of being sad with her, instead of being reassuring to her, he gets angry. That's how he deals with his lack of control in the situation. And what he communicates to her in the middle of that is, don't talk to me about this again. I'm not safe to talk to you about this. You are alone in this. And think about how lonely she would have felt in that home. Her husband has three other wives and they're all having kids and here she is, loved by her husband, favorite wife, but she, she can't have kids. And so she learns, she can't talk to her husband about it, so she learns to start talking to God about it. She learns to be dependent on God for strength and for help. And so at the end of that chapter, chapter towards the end, verse 22, it says, then God remembered Rachel's plight and answered her prayers by enabling her to have children. A couple things, this word remembered is not... Um, it's not this idea that God had forgotten and then he suddenly was like, oh yeah, my bad. A lot going on. Let me help you out, Rachel. Like that, that's not the word remembered here. It's not that, that God accidentally overlooked because of all the busyness in the universe. Like this, this word remembered has to do with um, um, favorable consideration. That she prays because of her prayers. He has favorable consideration for her he enables her to have children. Now here's a question to wrestle with. Was God the one preventing her from having children? 
and now he's enabling her. Do you see this uh, distinction when we talk about the will of God? You feel this tension when we talk about the will of God? Like, okay, God enabled her here. Does that mean he was preventing her up until this point? Well, there's not an indication of that. We know that she's not able to have children and now God has favor for her, consideration for her, and, and she's able to. But we don't really have any indication that he was preventing it and now he's allowing it. And so there's this tension in understanding God's will that I'm sure she would have struggled with. She has a son and she names him Joseph and the name Joseph means God will give. God will give. So don't, don't miss this change in this mother's heart. The chapter begins with her demanding of her husband, give me children. It ends with her saying, God will give. This is one of the things that God wants to accomplish in you and in me when we're waiting on his will, that we learned dependence on him, that we put our hope in him, that while we're waiting, we recognize, we recognize that he is the one who is safe and he is the one who is strong and we, we can go to him, we can pray to him. God is the one who gives. Rachel would die eight or nine years later giving birth to Joseph's little brother, Benjamin, but she would have been Joseph's mom during the most formative years of his life. Like what we know now is age zero to eight are the most formative years of our lives. That's when we most rapidly develop cognitively, spiritually, emotionally, the whole thing. And so she's Joseph's mom during his formative years and just think about the way he would have been raised. He's raised in this home that's full of chaos, lots of wives and lots of kids, and yet it's him and his mom. And his mom had learned God's will doesn't always unfold our way. He was being raised by a mom who had learned to put her confidence in God. God is the one who gives. He, he was named by a mom, God gives. So every time his mom called his name, his mom is declaring a testimony God can be counted on. God's will doesn't always unfold our way, but, but wait on God. Don't give up on God. And I would just argue that this would have had a profound impact on Joseph's life. That in his most formative years, he's influenced by his mother in these ways. So when he is sold into slavery at age 17, do you think that mattered? I think it did. When he is thrown into prison and he's waiting in prison, do you think how he was influenced by his mother in those early years as she declared God is the one who gives, as she continued to pray for another child and then finally Benjamin was born, that would have significantly impacted Joseph. I heard a pastor tell of meeting a young lady in his church who came up to him after service and just gave him her testimony that her freshman year in college had been especially difficult for her. She was failing her classes, she wasn't going on any date. She felt very much alone and desperate. And one night she, she goes out to the river close to the campus and she climbs up on this rail and she looks down into the dark waters below and she just, she thinks about jumping. She says that she was just lonely and depressed. And she told the pastor that while she was looking down and just thinking of ending her life, for one reason or another, a line came to her mind that she didn't, Recognized. She didn't know where it came from, but it just clearly came to her mind. Here's the line. 
Cast all your cares on God because he cares for you. Well, that's a scripture right out of 1 Peter. Cast all your cares on God because he cares for you. She didn't know where it came from, but she just, it just came to her mind and she climbed down off that rail and, and she was telling the pastor that she committed her life to God and, and the pastor said, well, where did you learn that Bible verse? And she said, I don't know. I didn't even know it was a Bible verse. And the pastor said, well, did you go to church maybe as a little girl where you would have heard that Bible? She said, no, I, I didn't go to church as a little girl. And then she stopped for a moment and she said, you know, when I was in elementary school, we spent a summer at my grandma's house. And every Sunday, she made us go to church. And the pastor said, there it is. There it is. That as a little girl in Sunday school class, she heard this verse. And all these years later, it came to her mind at just the right time. I don't know her grandma but I know it wasn't easy. I know her grandma on those Sunday mornings didn't, didn't want to get them up and get them ready. I know Sundays came early when you're getting a granddaughter ready to go to church. But every Sunday morning, while they were living with grandma, grandma said, we're going, we're going. And then at just the right time, a verse that was planted in her heart as a little girl came to her mind. I, I see this a lot as a pastor. I, I just wanna encourage your moms and grandmas especially that are contending for the faith and the life of your children and grandchildren not to underestimate the impact you're having between ages zero to eight, nine, 10 years old. Like don't underestimate that. It may not feel like it's having an impact. It might not seem like it's making a difference, but there is a way that God works there's a way that his will unfolds where he'll take that influence and that intentionality and he will unfold that in your child's life, your grandchild's life. Last week we left Joseph in prison. If you remember, he had, um, in prison, he had helped Pharaoh's chief cupbearer interpret a dream and the cupbearer told Joseph, when I get out, I'll remember you but he did not remember Joseph. He forgot all about it. And so chapter 41 begins this way. Two years later, <laughs> two full years later, it sounds a little bit nonchalant, but this is, he's in prison for two full years. It's just two full years later. Well, what happened during those two full years? What's going on in Joseph's life during those two years while he's just waiting I would say one of the consistent things we discover in the life of Joseph, and many of you know this to be true in your own life, is the hardest part of God's will is not always the what, it's the when. When is it gonna happen? Why is it taking so long? So two full years later, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing on the bank of the Nile River, and in his dream he saw seven fat, healthy cows come up and eat come up out of the river and begin grazing in the marsh grass. Then he saw seven more cows come up behind them from the Nile, but these were scrawny and thin. And those cows stood beside the fat cows on the river bank. And then the scrawny thin cows ate the seven healthy fat cows. At this point in the dream, Pharaoh woke up. But he fell asleep again and had a second dream. And this time he saw seven heads of grain, plump and beautiful, growing on a single stalk. Then seven more heads of grain appeared, but these were shriveled and withered by the east wind, 
And these thin heads swallowed up the seven plump, well-formed heads, and then Pharaoh woke up again and realized he needed to stop eating Chipotle late at night. Like, that is a weird, that is a weird dream. And he doesn't understand. He knows it means something, but he doesn't know what it means. And so he calls his magicians and wise men in, tells them the dream. They try to interpret it. They can't interpret it. The cupbearer's over here to the side, listening to the whole thing unfold, and suddenly remembers Joseph. And remembers how Joseph interpreted his dream. And so he tells Pharaoh about Joseph. Verse 14 says, Pharaoh sent for Joseph at once, and he was quickly brought from the prison. After he shaved and changed his clothes, he went in and stood before Pharaoh. Probably an awkward moment with a cupbearer. The cupbearer's like, hey, you doing okay? How long's it been? It's been two years, bro. Two full years. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream last night and no one here can tell me what it means, but I've heard that when you hear about a dream, you can interpret it. I love this, verse 16. Like, this is Joseph's big moment to kind of step into the light, to get some credit, to climb the ladder. First thing he says, that's beyond my power to do this. First thing he says, I don't have what it takes. I, I'm not smart enough. I'm not strong enough. I, I can't do this. But, but he goes on to say, but God, but God can tell you what it means and set you at ease. And so Pharaoh tells him the dreams and Joseph listens. He realizes it's not all good news. I'm sure he desperately wanted it to be. Verse 25, Joseph responded, both of Pharaoh's dreams mean the same thing. God is telling Pharaoh in advance what he's about to do. The seven healthy cows and the seven healthy heads of grain both represent seven years of prosperity. Verse 27, the seven thin and scrawny cows that came up later and the seven thin heads of grain withered by the east wind, they represent seven years of famine. So Joseph says, look, there's gonna be seven years of great prosperity followed by seven years of this devastating famine. Verse 31, this famine will be so severe that even the memory of the good years will be erased. As for having two similar dreams, it means that these events have been decreed by God and he will soon make them happen. Joseph goes on to tell Pharaoh what he needs to do about all this. Verse 33, therefore Pharaoh should find an intelligent and wise man and put him in charge of the entire land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh should, point, should appoint supervisors over the land and let them collect one-fifth of all the crops during the seven good years. Have them gather all the food produced in the good years that are just ahead and bring it to Pharaoh's storehouses, store it away and guard it so that there will be food in the cities. That way there will be enough to eat when the seven years of famine come to the land of Egypt. Otherwise this famine will destroy the land. So Pharaoh hears all this. He concludes Joseph is full of the spirit of God. And so he puts Joseph in charge of pretty much everything. Verse 40, you will be in charge of my court and all my people will take orders from you. Only I sitting on the throne will have a rank higher than yours. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the entire land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh removed his signet ring from his hand and placed it on Joseph's finger. And he dressed him in fine linen clothing and hung a gold chain around his neck. And just as predicted, for seven years, the land produced bumper crops. And during those seven years, Joseph gathered all the crops grown in Egypt and stored the grain from the surrounding fields in the cities. And he piled up huge amounts of grain like sand on the seashore. Finally, he stopped keeping records because there was just too much to measure. Eventually, the seven years of plenty come to an end and seven years of famine begins. And people from all the surrounding countries and area come to Joseph desperate for help. And so here's what we see with Joseph 
we see this um, supernatural revelation followed by dedication. And on this Mother's Day weekend, as we look at his life and think about God's will, here's the one thing I wanna especially underline for you, is revelation is only half of following God's will, but the other half is dedication. Meaning that when we consider the will of God in our lives, what most of us focus on is revelation. God, what do you want? Give me your directions, tell me which way to go. God, what's the, what's the revelation? And revelation's part of it, but the other part is dedication. And we see this in the life of Joseph. Like Joseph gets this supernatural revelation from God, but then it requires seven years of dedication to follow God's will. And I, I would say that this is the hard part of God's will. It's not always the revelation. It's often the dedication that's required. And I think especially on this Mother's Day weekend, moms know the reality of that. It's the dedication, it's the dailiness of God's will that can be so difficult. And so from Joseph's life, just a few things about dedicating ourselves to the will of God. First, dedication means that you diligently address the challenges. You diligently address the reality of the challenges that you face. Verse 46, after Joseph has given this great responsibility from Pharaoh, it says, and when Joseph left Pharaoh's presence, he inspected the entire land of Egypt. It's all the same sentence. He's given this great responsibility, and the first thing he does is he defines reality. The first thing he does is tour Egypt, he listens, he understands the challenges, he faces, he faces head on what he's gonna have to deal with over the next seven years. And that can be hard to do, there's a tendency to let um, procrastination get in the way of our dedication. We think, well, you know, I'll get to this eventually. I got seven years. I I can just kind of think about this the next couple of years and then I'll really dig in. I've got 18 years. Don't really need to worry too much about these early years. Later, I'll start to pay attention. But I've got time. I've got time to deal with these things. I've got time to be intentional in the way I wanna be intentional. And what we see with Joseph is that he just is immediately diligent with the responsibility that God has given him. And I know that kind of diligence, that kind of dedication, especially for moms, can be really demanding in some ways more now than than ever. I've loved being a a grandfather, Um, probably my, my favorite part of being a grandfather probably is watching my wife be a grandmother. Like she, she just, I love, I love watching her with him. And, and um, the other day I, I came home after a long day at work and she was watching our grandson. And uh, my daughter and her husband were out they hadn't come back yet. And so I was excited to just get some time with him, but I was also really tired. And so I, I sat in the chair with him in my lap, excited to hold him, but not having the energy to try to keep his attention. And so I turned the TV on to YouTube and I went to a channel called Coco Melon. Um, I don't know who told me about it. I wish they hadn't. I, I go to Coco Melon and then I go to this uh, I go to this song on Coco Melon called Well do you know what one? Baby Shark. <laughs> Baby Shark. <laughs> it's pretty good. I 
some of you are like, what is happening here? I'm like, we can't get it out of our heads. Like it will not leave, baby shark. And, and my grandson and I are just sitting in the chair, bug-eyed, just staring, staring at this show when my daughter comes in from her night and, and she sees the two of us watching Baby Shark on this 70 inch TV, zoned out, bug, and, and she comes and she's like, what are you doing? He's getting ready to go to bed. This is way too stimulating for him. He shouldn't be watching this this late at night. And I'm like, girl, it wasn't that long ago, right? Like when you were in this, and by the way, it has 16 billion views. So I think it's okay, 16 billion. But she's like, no, just, it's just late at night and it's a lot of stimulation for him at his age. And, and she didn't, you know, just because it's easy now, we don't wanna do it if, if it's gonna cause a problem later. And, and she took the remote control and changed the channel. And, and I thought for a minute about just the dedication required to be a mom and how much dedication is gonna be required in the years ahead for him where it would be easier just to look the other way. She's gonna to have to be diligent. I, I was reading in the news this week about a, a mom in Colorado. Sixth grade daughter is recruited to be a part of an after-school club. And parents are told it's an art club. It's actually a sexuality and gender awareness club where sixth graders are taught if you don't feel comfortable in your own body, it's okay for you to identify as transgender or queer. But what sixth grader feels comfortable in their own body? Know a lot of those floating around? Not a lot of them. And, and they were told, hey, you don't need to tell your parents about this. It's just, it can be an art club. And, and for that mom, there's this moment where she has to decide, am, am I gonna be diligent in this? It's gonna be hard. Am I gonna be diligent about what my child is being taught, how my child is being discipled in ways that are contradictory to what the Bible says? Genesis chapter one, God made them male and female. What am I gonna teach my child? And as a sixth grader, requires this level of diligence. So I, I just wanna encourage parents, you be devoted, don't give up, be diligent in what God has called you to do. It's, it's not easy. I'm sure for Joseph, he faced all kinds of challenges in those first seven years, but he kept his focus. And here's the second thing I would say about devotion is that means intentionally focusing on a, a vision for the future. Like he knew what the vision was and he had to hold on to that even if other people around him were discouraging, even if other people around him were questioning of that. Verse 34 says, he, he tells Pharaoh, you should appoint supervisors over the land and let them collect one fifth of all the crops during the seven good years. That would not have been a popular thing. It's a leader coming in and saying, hey, for the next seven years, I'm gonna take 20% of all of your resources Maybe people accepted it for a while, but seven years is a long time to make those kinds of sacrifices. But Joseph kept a hold of the vision, even though there were people around him who were criticizing him, I'm sure, constantly. Even though there were people around him who wanted kind of this immediate pleasure, they wanted things their way, and Joseph was gonna hold on to that vision, even if it wasn't popular with some of the people around him. Last thing is that dedication consistently, means consistently showing up and doing the daily work. And so for seven years, he shows up. For seven years, he is dedicated knowing what's coming. 
And I, just, I wanna challenge and encourage, especially some of our single moms. I, I know that some of you feel alone in your dedication and it doesn't feel like it's seven years, it feels longer than that. I, I, I want you to know you're not alone. As a church, we wanna encourage you, we wanna support you as you dedicate yourself to God's will, even when it feels like it's against the odds. As a church, we're better because of you, because of your example of faithfulness and your dependence on God. What you do matters. And so to all moms, don't grow weary in doing good. Bible says at the right time, you'll reap the harvest if you don't give up. Be devoted. And this is a, a picture I took about five years ago with my, um, with my grandmother. Um, I think the Bible weighs about as much as she does. And, and if, at this time in her life, she was um, 99 years old. She, uh, she didn't have much time left. And uh, if you asked her how old she was, though, she would have said almost 100. That's what for, she'd been saying that for a number of years. She got close. Well, my grandmother, what I want you to know about her is that she didn't become a Christian until she was in her mid-30s. Didn't know Jesus, wasn't a part of church. She had two, by that time, she had two kids that were grown and out of the house, two little kids still at home. And, and she meets Jesus and God gives her a dream and a vision for her life. But it was different than anything that she had been taught, anything that had been modeled for her. And, and, and yet she began to dedicate herself to, to that vision that God had for her as a wife and a mom, just daily dedication. So when I took this picture, um, with her, we had breakfast in her apartment in the nursing home there, and she had, uh, we had, I say we had breakfast. I, what she was eating, I felt like was a little too unhealthy for me, actually. She was having these sausage biscuits infused with syrup, and I'm like, I, at 99, I guess you can do that. I, I can't pull that off these days. And, and um, she had a book out on her table called The Applause of Heaven, a book by Max Lucado about living for the applause of heaven, and... Uh, I asked her about it and she apologized that she wasn't reading one of my books, but it wasn't her fault because they don't have them in large print edition. And, I, and, and she doesn't have any interest in uh, TV or political news. So I asked her how she spends her time and she just quickly responds, praying for you and praying for the other kids and grandkids and great grandkids and great, great grandkids. And, and one of the ways that she was volunteering at that time was she would write um, greeting cards by hand to inmates in prisons, because a lot of them, she explained, didn't have a mother or grandmother to care for them, to check in on them. She understood that she can be a spiritual mother. She can be a spiritual grandmother to some people who need it. For 36 years, she'd been living one way, and then God gives her a different vision for her life, and it just took a lot of dedication, but she just lived it out. And I feel confident that I wouldn't be standing up here talking to you now on this Mother's Day weekend if she hadn't dedicated herself daily to those things over the years as a mother, as a grandmother. Before we left her apartment that day, she stepped back into her, her bathroom to finish getting ready to go. And I sat by myself in her um, main room there and I picked up that book the applause of heaven, and I was just, I flipped it over. I was reading the back of it while I was waiting on her. Here's what I read. You'll be home soon. 
You may not have noticed it, but you're closer to home than ever before. Each moment is a step taken, every breath is a page turned, each day is a mile marked, a mountain climbed, you're closer to home than you've ever been. Before you know it, your appointed arrival time will come, you'll descend the ramp and enter the city, you'll see faces that are waiting for you, you'll hear the name, your name spoken by those who love you, and maybe, just maybe, in the back, behind the crowds, the one who would rather die than live without you will remove his pierced hands from his royal robes and applaud. Well done, good and faithful servant. Before you know it, your appointed time will come. And so, what does that mean? It means that God's will for you in this life and in this moment is to be devoted to him. That's God's will, that you, you be devoted to him. You be devoted to living your life for him. It's God's will that you be obedient to him that you repent of your sins. It's God's will that you pray about everything. You give thanks in all things. It's God's will that you be obedient in baptism. If you haven't been baptized, it's God's will that you be a part of a church family. It's God's will that you forgive other people and you receive his forgiveness. It's God's will that you live a holy and humble life. It's God's will that you not live in fear, but that you fear not. It's God's will that you cast all your cares on him. Like you'd be devoted to him because your time, appointed time, will soon come. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your grace that meets us where we are. I thank you for the way your will unfolds in our lives. And I pray, God, that in these next few minutes, you would help us not just think about your devotion to us that you demonstrated on the cross through Jesus, but that we would also examine our own hearts and lives and that we would devote ourselves to you and we would devote ourselves to your revealed will and that we would align our lives according to your will because we recognize that our appointed time will soon come. And so God, give us the strength and the grace to do that today. It's in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. If today's message made you realize you need to take your next step with Jesus, we would love to help you with that. You can connect with us on any of our social media platforms throughout the week or visit our website at southeastchristian.org. And if you want to hear more content like this, you can check out our sermons podcast or our one at a time podcast. Both can be found everywhere. Podcasts are available. Have a great week.